Uh, good afternoon to everyone. This is Lois DeBrocki. I'm president and CEO of International Seaways. We're INSW on the New York Stock Exchange, and we have uh, 40 uh, tankers that are largely employed in the spot market. And I'm here this afternoon with Nikos Sakos. Thank you, Lois. Uh, and uh, 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 our company is 10TEN. Ticker on the New York Stock Exchange TNP. Uh, we have a diversified uh, energy fleet of uh, 70, 70 vessels in the water, uh, of which uh, uh, almost uh, 60 uh, are trading on, on the sport or on a related, uh, uh, related uh, market related uh, profit share arrangements. So I think both of us are uh, literally in the water as we are today in this in this uh, market. But before we start talking about shipping, we hope that uh, uh, first of all, thank you for everyone participating, and uh, we want to thank Capital Link for keeping our minds elsewhere other than uh, this uh, virus that um, seems to be creating havoc everywhere. And uh, everybody, we hope, will come out of this. Uh, Safe. So I think this is the most important uh, thing out there. Uh, I would say not related with uh, with that. Uh, our market uh, has gone the uh, has gone uh, in a very strong way, mainly because the strong production and storage happening right now, and with the price of uh, of uh, the barrel collapsing to almost a 20-year low. I mean, we are. Back to the last last century, I think last time I, I remember I was you know, almost a rookie uh, at work, uh, and uh, when we saw the barrel of oil under the $20 mark and, and perhaps even uh, dropping further, there is a big misconception that I think finally people start to understand uh, just because our companies, uh, International Seaways and, and TEN, uh, are... Uh, uh, energy-related companies, every time you have uh, the price of, of oil dropping, uh, our share prices go uh, through, through the floor. Actually, it is the opposite, and it's the first time that you know, people, I think, start uh, grasping to that, is the cheaper the product we carry, the more demand there is for that product, and right now we are experiencing one of the strongest markets uh, over the last uh, more than more than 10 years so uh, so with that uh, back to you Lois thank you very much Nico so our first question is uh, do you see any risks from prolonged inability of changing crews on, on our ships and is there a point where our crews cannot continue further and you know I, I'll start and I'll pass it to you Nico see if you have additional thoughts and I would say that thus far, our crews are, uh, you know, they, they are very high level professionals and they are continuing to serve on the ships. It is indeed very challenging to uh, effectuate repatriations with these 14 days um, quarantine periods and different countries having restrictions. However, th there are some uh, tentative indications that some of this might be relaxed or that there might be places where we can take some of our sailors and then have them for a period ashore before they're repatriated to their home in 
places such as Singapore and in the east where they're ahead of us on the coronavirus curve. But thus far, uh, our, our sailors have, have really been holding up very strong. Uh, uh, Nico? You and, and I think, uh, you know, we, we operate, uh, we look after uh, 3,000 sailors on a daily basis. Uh, so, and so far, uh, none of them has uh, created any issues. I mean, the opposite. Many of them are glad they're not uh, out here on the, on the storm <laughs> world. Uh, where things are happening and uh, you know knocking on wood here we have not had any issues of uh, of the virus on border ships and I think w one of the points that you very well made is also on the large ships that we both have uh, really we could self-quarantine people on board uh, but they, That's right. they do not touch uh, land for more than 30 or 40 days perhaps 20 days so uh, they could arrive uh, and, uh, and and go straight home uh, if they have no symptoms. But uh, you know, I think this is not this is not a happy thought, but it's very practical, and that's that's where we are. That's right, Nikos. Our, our next question is: uh, near-term crude tanker rates are soaring, and obviously a bullish setup. How do you feel about the medium-long-term implications from this building dislocation? Why don't you start, Nikos, and then I'll take the cleanup okay, on this one. Well, uh, you know, I, I think. Uh, uh, the contango that we're seeing is one of the, I would say, largest in, in, in recent memory. We, we, we saw something similar, but not to that extent, back in 2014-15. And uh, I think on, in la, on last count, uh, we were uh, on, on the pre-virus uh, normal world condition situation, we were close to the 3 billion, uh, the 3 billion barrel. Uh, storage around the world, uh, and that I think includes uh, uh, at least official strategic reserves for uh, for, the, for China and, and, and the United States, um, which, which really is 30 days of world consumption. So that, you know that is that has been the rule of thumb under normal circumstances. The world would have a month of of, uh, of demand uh, in, in storage. I think people are expecting, uh, or analysts are expecting this to go anywhere between the six to nine billion, which means 20 to 30 days. I'm just, I'm talking uh, because billion, of course, sounds uh, you know huge, but if you put it on a daily uh, consumption or demand, it you know it, it sounds very logical. So there is quite a few, uh, you know, quite a, quite a way to go. Uh, on last count, we were at around the 700. We, we were adding up. 700 mil million uh, barrels. Uh, what does this mean? I mean, uh, uh, it's, it, it's a huge, huge, huge amount, and uh, and moving forward. So, so we are we are expecting to see at these prices more uh, more storage, which will keep ships out of the market, keep the market strong. Uh, when the world starts recovering, we believe that there is going to be. Uh, the, store, the cheap oil stored will be started being spent or used uh, around the world. Uh, ships will be released, but they will be released in a slowly more normalized environment. Uh, so, yeah, yours, Lois. Wonderful. Thank you, Nikos. Yeah, I, I guess um, what I would say is that uh, prior to this run-up, you know, there have been 24 ELTC spinning off of Singapore that you know, maybe half of those have customarily been involved in uh, bunkering issues. 
and uh, maybe in another 12 were added there for IMO. In the last 10 days on the VLCC fleet, we have seen over two dozen vessels that have been taken for six to 18 months, um, largely six to nine months, but also creeping up uh, 12 months, 18 months, uh, for both trading and storage. It's, it's, you know, often if you're fixing for a period of time, your customer is going to want to have that flexibility to trade and store. But we've also seen a half a dozen uh, Suez Maxis taken for similar periods and somewhere around a dozen Affirmaxes. So from, you know, this event that we're experiencing now is what was two-pronged. We are seeing huge demand destruction in consuming nations all around the world. And at the same time, we're seeing uh, additional crude being pushed out by primarily by Saudi Arabia and some of the numbers that we're understanding where in April we could temporarily be awash with up to 20 million barrels per day of excess crude. So this really affects the, the whole refinery complex. It, it really, um, the refiners are going to have to ramp down and the crude is going to have to store onshore and at sea. So some of the things that we're reading, we're trying to uh, access as much information as we can, is that you really could end up with double the amount of crude at sea as to what we saw in the 14 to 16 period. So this, this is a, a lot of uh, VLCCs and larger crude vessels as well as uh, likely to be uh, LR2s on the product side and LR1s. So this is something that we have not seen, certainly in, in uh, the, the 25 years that I've been in the business. Okay, um, now, uh, Nico, so I have one for you. Um, can you share your current spot versus charter break-even levels? Now, this is a, a, a company-specific question, so you can kind of answer this however you wish, Nikos, but how are the profit and share, sharing agreements working or are those beneficial for you? Yes, well, uh, again, uh, we have, uh, going back to, to Lois, Lois, uh, I think we should, uh, you should you tell your chartering department, uh, we should try and stick for 12 to 18 month business because I think we should all instead of trying to undercut each other, try to take as long as we can from this uh, from, from this market. I mean, I, I'm with you, Nikos. Okay, well, I, I would rather get uh, $80,000 for two years on the VLCC than 120 for six months. So I think uh, this is, this is uh, I think all ship owners, and I am talking as uh, Intertango's ex-chairman uh, in this one, so uh, it kind of, I was carried away a bit. If we can keep this, because it's better to make stable, uh, very good profits for a longer period of time, just uh, have a very good couple of quarters and then, uh, you know, get, get back into, into the red. But on a separate note, uh, the majority of our, some of our contracts, I would say, uh, are based on index-related, uh, so they get 100% of, of the upside. Some of, the, of our contracts are uh, contracts of our freightment, which uh, secure 100% utilization. Uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, uh, the, uh, and whatever the market is against a very small, perhaps two or two and a half percent discount 
to, to, to the market to secure that you have business 24-7 because this is our, our, our model and that's why our results were very good even in a difficult year last year. And, uh, and, uh, and then some, some, some of our contracts are, uh, they have a minimum, which means that we cover a very good profit, uh, uh, you know, with what, whatever the market does. And then we, we, we share uh, either 50-50 or 75-25 uh, the index. So our aim has been as a company for the last, uh, we've been around now 28 years, uh, to, to always maintain uh, profitability. Uh, strong uh, cash reserves uh, to maintain our dividend and uh, have a repeat business. So I would say today, as I said, the, the, the biggest part was about 70% uh, of, of, uh, of the fleet is uh, taking advantage of the up of, of the market upside. Very good. Thank you, Nikos. So the next question is for me at Seaways, and uh, can you discuss your medium-term policies for earnings allocation, capital allocation? Uh, our current dividend policy uh, is not as generous as the dividend policies of some other companies, and we have a very strong balance sheet. So, you know, essentially, we just implemented a minimum dividend, which is something like one and a quarter percent return to shareholders, and that is a minimum dividend that we feel will be supportable in good times and bad and highly sustainable throughout all the cycles. Then as we, every quarter, um, as we meet with the board, we will be discussing capital allocation and what it is we want to do with what we deem to be excess cash. And the reason that we've chosen um, this approach as opposed to a formulaic, a very formulaic approach, is simply because shipping is highly volatile right now. And with the coronavirus and the demand destruction happening, I think it's, we believe that it's very wise to allow this uh, market to develop. And then we'll be talking about, well, what is it that we want to do with our capital? We are not splashing out right now um, on, uh, we bought the majority of our vessels at, at the bottom of the market or certainly what we, what we thought or, you know, and, and hope was uh, the bottom part of the cycle. And now we're in a little bit of that reaping phase, but we, we are less formulaic and more looking to be uh, responsive, responsible and discuss this. And then we'll share with our shareholders our approach going forward. Uh, the, the next question is, with crude and extreme contango, how are you seeing inquiries for tanker storage? And I'll, I'll start on that one, Nikos. I mean, we, we are definitely uh, being, uh, in, you know, approached. I won't say inundated. That, that, that's, you know, but certainly approached constantly now for uh, storage. And with crude prices falling even today, you see um, by the hour the contango is increasing so that charters are able to afford uh, a higher rate for uh, VLCC, Suez, and Afros. So, you know, we're, we're seeing um, the majority of the deals that were done last week for VLCCs for uh, six to nine months were done at $75,000 and up. There is a rumor that there was something done for six months at like 120, 130 per day. Uh, we haven't quite run that one to ground to see if that actually was executed. So we, we are definitely seeing very strong inquiry in uh, for 
storage. And again, most of these contracts will have trading or storage ability so that the charters have some flexibility. Okay. Uh, Nikos, uh, do, do you want to respond to that or you feel like... Uh, I think uh, you are following the market uh, better, uh, better than me, being a much younger and capable person. <laughs> So, so yeah, I think uh, uh, the support the 125 um, rumor was confirmed to me in the afternoon by one of the of the brokers. Okay, wonderful, very good. Okay, hey Lois, says the focus at the moment is that crude. How do you see the products working out? And uh, both Sakos and Seaways, uh, we we uh, have both. We're both diversified companies. We have both crude and product carriers. And I see the larger project product carriers, uh, of just like uh, the VLCCs, you know, you start with the largest way to store. Uh, there are a few clean Suez Maxes, but mostly you're going to see uh, LR2s and LR1s, I think, uh, storing products first. I'm a little bit concerned on the MR side um, just because you're going to see the refineries in the U.S. Gulf start to uh, decrease a little bit depending on margins. However, so far, South America, knock on wood, and I, I, I pray they will have a reprieve from this coronavirus, they have not been as affected yet. And, and that is where a lot of products goes on MRs out of the U.S. Gulf. Um, do you want to comment on the product side of things, Nico? Yeah, just, just, to, just to say that uh, I agree with you that uh, South America is, 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 is uh, holding but where we are seeing an increase is actually because of the huge decrease of uh, products need in China. The Chinese refiners are exporting uh, that stuff. They're very quick, uh, as you know, the Chinese. And uh, right now, you know, we are seeing um, one of the highest, uh, highest uh, markets for the MRs. Uh, coming out of the of, of the Far East, which is not a usual usual place uh, for those ships. So, so there is uh, together together with uh, the low sulfur uh, replenishment, uh, there is uh, quite uh, I would say respectable returns on on the product side, also uh, uh, you know holding holding the ground. Okay. Um, Nikos, if you can turn your volume on your phone up, we have a request, um, or, or perhaps um, you, you, I can hear you well, but maybe for others, if you can just project even a little louder. Um, so I, I think we've kind of gone through most of our questions, Nikos, and then Annie had shared with us the results of the survey this morning, which was, what do you think the most significant challenges that shipping faces today that will transform the industry. And the majority of the respondents, nearly half, uh, said environmental regulation, followed by equally uh, geopolitics and digitalization. So, you know, it's just interesting. Um, the challenges that we're facing, you know, a lot of what we talked about today is, is our very immediate term. And uh, for, for me, I feel like because our, our markets are very volatile, and I'm sure Nikos would agree with me, it's, it's very important for us to have a laser focus on the markets today and how we, um, how we capitalize on this opportunity that, that shipping and tankers specifically is being presented with right now, while the majority of the world is, is, is truly struggling with this, this terrible virus. 
And in the bigger picture, certainly we won't let this detour, deter from uh, all of our environmental goals. So I think we have our very immediate short-term focus and then our longer-term um, uh, efforts that, that we're all working toward. So uh, Nikos, if you wanted to share sort of um, what, what do you think are you know, things that we're facing that will really transform the industry? Well, I have to say in order to make most of our uh, audience uh, feel a little bit uh, secure that uh, uh, seaborne transportation is one of the oldest forms of transportation aging uh, tens of thousands of years ago here in the Mediterranean and in, in, in the North Sea and, and in the, the Far East. And uh, uh, still there is no replenishment uh, for the movement of uh, uh, such a big, uh, uh, huge weight. Uh, it's the most, um, you know, uh, economical, efficient, and environmentally friendly way uh, to move uh, 300,000 tons uh, of oil, 200,000 tons of iron ore. I mean, there is no way uh, this, uh, this can be, I would say, uh, changed uh, by, by, by technology or by... Uh, you know, snapping your fingers. So the industry is going to be here for the, you know, for for the long, long term, as long as people live uh, around uh, around the world, uh, which we hope they do. And uh, okay. So, so in that sense, uh, I, I think the industry is here to stay. Uh, but uh, the technology will create a lot of uh, of challenges. Uh, the compulsion technology, which is what what we are facing today, one of the reasons we are seeing a good market uh, for a long term for our shareholders and future shareholders, is because right now no one in his right mind uh, is building a ship. Uh, what has really was the dark uh, swan of our industry has been the oversupply of ships. Today, no one knows what ship to, to build. And uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. By the time we figure it out, uh, there would be less supply of tonnage. You know what, Nikos? That leads me right into there's a group of questions here, and it's very natural. And it's like, okay, you know, you guys are, are uh, living for today. You know, you have uh, all this uh, opportunity. However, what happens when... Uh, the, the, the oil curve flattens out, the contango disappears, and you have to wear off uh, these volumes of barrels at sea. And I, I guess my response to that would be that there are some differences to previous cycles of, you know, why are why is this happening? <clears throat> we've, we've never experienced a pandemic that has uh, abruptly and uh, albeit hopefully temporarily totally made our demand hit a wall. And, you know, we're very hopeful that, that then uh, demand will be able to come back online fairly quickly. But one of the things that's very different, and it goes to Nikos's point about what, what is it that type of vessel one should build. And uh, remember that the forward order book for uh, tankers and, um, you know, VLCCs, large ships, is under 10%. So this is very different than um, in the Great Recession in 06, 07, and 08 when the order book was 50%. Many of these vessels that we'll be storing are already aged. And let's say that they store for a year, a year and a half, and they come off of that. Those are really vessels that are highly unlikely to come back into the trading fleet. 
And at that time, uh, it would be fairly natural. They'll be up against uh, CapEx dry docks uh, for those vessels to, to really leave the fleet. So I, I think that that's something that is fundamental in, in our cycle. And in this case, we have not, as owners, overbuilt. So that is a positive. Uh, Nikos, uh, when, when uh, we have to wear off the inventories, do you have a view on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that, uh, I mean, we, we, have to, we have to be prepared that, of course, things are not going, and that's why we should be getting as long coverage at, at, at healthy rates for us and our shareholders as we can. Yep. Because, I mean, you know, the, the party uh, will not, uh, you know, will not last forever. The, the day after will not be like a hangover movie, two or three. It's going to be, I think, a, a, a much better scenario, as you very well explained, because there, there, were not, uh, there will not be a lot of ships. What will happen the day after? Uh, we will wake up in the world uh, you know, with inventories having reached the nine, uh, you know, the, the nine billion mark, which is, uh, I, I would say, the peak. When I say the nine million buck, of course, this is, this is world inventories of oil, not seaborne storage. And because if, if it was uh, seaborne storage, I think we should uh, retire now and <laughs> live very happily ever after. It, is, it yeah. takes, the, and takes uh, the whole part of inventories around the world. Uh, so uh, when we wake up, we will see a world where there is going to be uh, 20 to 25% less demand uh, of oil. However, at that time, we will have, as we said, even less vessels in the market because no one is, is, building, uh, is building ships. And right now, what is happening, and I'm sure you're experiencing it in your companies, none of us is able to stop our ships uh, to pass a special survey or a dry docking, which is usually something, something that we do in China. So we go to our classification societies like American mm -hmm. Bureau of Shipping and Lloyd's, guys, you know, my survey is due. Uh, instead of a three-month extension, give me a six-month extension right now because I cannot find the shipyard that will allow me to go in. I will have to stay 14 days outside. My crew cannot go in the shipyard, and I cannot send any spare parts or any of my superintendents. And usually the classification societies, they send a couple of the very people see the ship, and you get, uh, you get that, expect, uh, that, uh, you know, that extension. When, when uh, things normalize, a lot of vessels will be going to be passing their special surveys and, 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 and dry dockings, which means that uh, you know, capacity will go out of the market. So I think the, the normalization in rates is not going to be a free fall. Uh, I would say the opposite is going to be, if we handle it well, it's going to be a normal good market. Uh, right now, we're, we are experiencing something which is, uh, you know, out of this uh, of this world. Uh, the party will last, I think, for six to nine months. But after that, it's up to us to pave the way for a long-term positive market. Very good, Nikos. So uh, I, I think it's uh, a fair, fairly close for us to wrap it up. Uh, one, one of the questions uh, that, that was sent is, you know, are we seeing asset prices rising? And uh, my answer to that would be uh, actually, you know, older vessels that have a very short time horizon. This is very supportive of their asset values because this um, this spike, let's say it's a year long spike, represents, um, you know, most of the rest of their life. And, and that can, that's actually holding up uh, older, older vessel values where new building prices 
we haven't seen the same because to the same point, Nikos, where you pointed out, people are not really ordering, although uh, there, there are uh, projects, LNG projects and things like this that may take up some space. And then um, I, I did uh, maybe for the last question here, aren't tankers the most expensive form of storage? Wouldn't those uh, drop uh, uh, before the online storage comes off? But one of the things I've read and it, and it resonates, makes a lot of sense. Uh, some traders have on them storage, some do not. And oil companies, national oil companies. So available storage is sometimes private, sometimes in public companies' hands, some is leased by traders. So there's all different kinds of economic interests out there that uh, have storage on shore. Many do not. And so, you know, the one day when, when the supplies start to come down, that will be dependent upon each individual trader, oil company's uh, trading strategy. So um, on that note, uh, I will say thank you all very much for this opportunity today. It was really a pleasure. Uh, to talk to you and uh, certainly with you, Nikos, and uh, thank you very much. And Nikos, maybe you want to sign off as well. Thank you. Uh, on, on your last point, Lois, I just want to, to say that uh, the flexibility uh, also of, uh, of uh, uh, seaborne storage yeah. is uh, something that uh, has a huge value for traders. Uh, it's different to store in Rotterdam, expensively in Rotterdam, and then you have to sell uh, the product, uh, you have to find the product somewhere else to sell it. When you have the product ownership, as, as Lois rightly said, uh, most, uh, most of the contracts are trading or storage that we are doing for, for long term. So I think it, it also adds a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, so flexibility. So it is much, much cheaper than uh, uh, getting into a lot of environmental issues or, or with on-land uh, storage. And again, Nico the most um, obvious point that's so excellent. You know, many of these VLCCs are being taken to store in the U.S. Gulf. And that means by definition, uh, they, they will need to deliver that oil, uh, you know, eventually when Contango goes away, they're going to have a long haul voyage in front of them. So that's a really uh, excellent point. So, okay, thank you very thank much. You. All the best and stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe, you thank too. Thank you, bye-bye.